Greetings everybody, Andy Dukes here again and welcome to Ride and Talk. I love endurance racing. The modified bikes, the team effort, the physical, mechanical and mental elements of riding, being part of the pit crew, the technical preparation, the race strategy, the pit stops, the overtakes, the crashes, the night riding, the dominance of the established teams and the emergence of the challenges. BMW Motorrad's World Endurance Team among them. With the legendary Boldor 24-hour race just around the corner, I thought it was about time to go behind the scenes with a factory team campaigning the new M1000RR. So I caught up with technical director Stephen Kazir, a former racer with a wealth of experience and an encyclopedia of knowledge on the world of endurance. The petrol heads are going to love this one. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome to Ride and Talk, and thanks for being our guest today. It's uh, completely my pleasure. Good morning. Right, pit lane is open, so straight into the action, Stephen. You've got expertise in suspension technology, data recording, racing software, engine management, design and manufacturing of special racing parts, all the things that are vital for success in the Endurance World Championship. This is surely the dream job for you with the BMW Motorrad World Endurance Team. Uh, well, it's exactly that. Uh, I, like, I like being involved in all these different aspects, and that's exactly why I am... I've been in endurance for so long and why this project uh, that came along three years ago now uh, is exactly perfectly the kind of project I like to do. So that was, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a dream job, as you say. Now, you used to race back in the BMW Boxer Cup days and also in endurance racing for many years, of course. But what are your key responsibilities now as technical director of the team? Um let's say it's it's um first of all is the technical preparation of the bike so that's uh, in this particular project is especially the coordination between the team and uh, bmw because it's of course a factory backed up team which means that um we we obviously have an input and an important input but normally all the technical uh, parts are designed and developed by, by bmw uh, a lot of it to our request because it's such a specific series and then secondly, uh, within the workshop and in the team is to organize all the technical aspects to be prepared for anything that can happen. And there's always a lot that can happen in an endurance race. Um, so on a technical level, the parts, but also the, the staff and the, the training of the staff. So it's uh, it's quite exciting. And it's a lot of work, obviously, uh, especially since this is a, a still a young project. But we see uh, uh, we see progress every single time we get out on the track. So that's very encouraging for the for the next races to come. Yeah, absolutely. Anything can happen. And it usually does for sure. Now, you don't just need technical expertise. You also need language skills, too especially with this national uh, well multinational team set up so how many languages do you speak Stephen? Uh, over the years I've learned uh, quite a few languages not not all fluent but uh, obviously when everybody's excited you usually are fluent enough to make yourself clear um, our base language in the team uh, is uh, English because that's what usually everybody speaks, but uh, endurance being a French game, there's quite a few uh, key people who are French speaking, but um, I'm quite fluent in French as well. Uh, then obviously Dutch, which is quite uh, convenient because also Werner, the team manager, is uh, Dutch speaking, so uh, we can have more or less private conversations with everybody present, so that's a, that's a bit of a plus. 
Um, and then I do understand and speak some German, but usually German-speaking people are all uh, very fluent in English, so that's not quite current. And I also speak Italian, but uh, for the moment, for the time being, we don't have any Italian involvement in the team. That's pretty impressive. How about Ukrainian? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't go there. I don't want to go there. If I if <laughs> if, if if I hear Ilya speak on the phone, is is not is not into my um, uh, motivation to try and understand understand anything that he says. So he's he's quite good in English. So that's more than good enough. Fantastic. Now the riders, of course, are the ones who get a lot of the credit when the team does well. But there's an entire technical crew out there, often behind the scenes, doing an amazing job to get the M1000RR ready for race action. So for those fans listening who dream of a life in the paddock, can you briefly summarise what team roles make up the BMW Motorrad World Endurance team? Uh, yeah, there is obviously quite a few key people who are um, uh, working in the shadow and, and uh, who are very, very difficult um, to replace. We've been very lucky on a technical level. We've got, uh, I think, fair to say, the key person in our technical squad is Mathieu. He's a French guy. He's still quite young. Um, I'm not sure if he's living the dream because he really has a hard time because we have to, yeah, as I said, it's a young project. But he's the guy that prepares all the sub-assemblies, all the spare parts. And that's it, it, it sounds simple, but it's a very complicated job in endurance. There's also a German guy, Gordon, who is also, um, he's been in Jumens for very long. He's been involved with BMW for very long. Um, he's more uh, what we call our MacGyver. He finds technical solutions for a lot of uh, uh, stuff. And uh, so that's the two uh, key people in the, in the workshop. We've got a parts manager, which is nearly a full-time job, Niels who has to organize and coordinate all the orders of all the parts and all the follow-up of the of the stock for as well our, our own team as for some customers um, that are involved. And then there's obviously a very a key, a key person BMW bound is Mickey. It's actually the BMW employee who's always there when our bikes go out on track and who has uh, all the responsibility and does all the work that has to do with electronics uh, so that's a very key uh, key function as well, and then the rest is uh, volunteers or or yeah basically volunteers that do all the tire work in the workshop as on the track, uh, timing people. So yeah, there's there's quite a big involvement there. Yeah, massive. Yeah, big team effort for sure. Now, briefly for those who are not up to speed on this format, what are the modifications that are allowed and are necessary, of course, to be competitive in the FIM Endurance World Championship? You know, in terms of bike setup, fuel capacity, fueling, quick quick release components, electronics, things like that. Well, um, we have a, a, a set of rules that is quite similar to World Superbike, uh, with some specific differences, though. And obviously, the, the 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 focus points are different for us. the the main The main component on the bike, as you already touched, is the fuel tank. Sounds a bit silly, but also in my first involvement with BMW is what I said. I said the the first focus has to be on the fuel tank. The second focus is the fuel tank, and the third focus is also the fuel tank, which <laughs> can hold twenty four liters. That's the only rule cannot be bigger but for us it means it has to hold 24 liters it has to fill 24 liters and it has to empty 24 liters and that's a, a very big key point where i've i've, I've always been uh, very strict about and very uh, focused on 
which also uh, helps in, in or, or defines or, or is um, a key point in the fact that we do well in fuel consumption. It's not that our bike is using less fuel than the other bikes. It probably is because there's other work done as well. But uh, one of the key points is that we, we, we focus and we use the full capacity of the tank. Um, so that's a key element. Uh, and then the next uh, focus, obviously, is the quick change systems. Um, I think it's fair to say that within two years, we've become one of the best teams in the pit stops is because we practice a lot. There's a lot of energy and time uh, and resources spent in optimizing the quick change systems. Uh, every hour we change the wheels. Uh, the rules, they change obviously every year, but in the current set of rules, we can change the wheels every hour still. We can also use as many new tires as we want. So that is for us every hour. Um, you cannot uh, fuel while you change the wheels. So it's an independent operation. So that's why you have to focus. You cannot say, okay, fueling takes, for example, seven seconds. So we have seven seconds for changing the wheels, which is not true because it's independent. Um, so yeah, our wheel changes take about, I would say, five and a half to six seconds. Um, what is very uh, specific to our team is that the guys in the front are faster than the guys in the rear, which is unusual for in the paddock. So um, it, it has become a bit of a challenge in between the mechanics. So that's that's quite good. We've got Mathieu and Gordon in the front and then Niels and Toby in the back. So in the beginning, I had to push a lot. Uh, for them to do pit stop practices but now it's been becoming a, a running game between them so it happens that i walk into the pit box and the guys are practicing and 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 fighting the fighting the the stopwatch as well as each other so that's quite good i like the fact that there's not just a, a battle going out on the track it's also happening in the garage between team yeah, members. Yeah, yeah yes exactly exactly and 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 it's um it's a strong point of our team i think as we have it today is that uh we've managed to create this atmosphere of, of healthy competition without uh, without uh, getting stressed to each other so that's that's uh, quite rewarding for all of them involved um, so yeah that's quite good and then is obviously the fueling which is also uh, as I said the fuel tank has to fill completely as fast as possible uh, with one uh, external partner this year we've developed a new fueling system so we gain another one and a half seconds uh, per pit stop doesn't sound a lot but over 24 hours that's 25 seconds so that's nearly half a lap on some tracks so that's quite good and then there's the other interventions so we have to occasionally because we do nearly 4,000 kilometers so occasionally we have to add oil sometimes so that is also with a quick filling system which is pressurized the fuel cannot be pressurized the oil can be so yeah there's a lot of things uh, involved there and how about suspension and electronics are there any differences there from world superbike setup or Yes, um, the whole bike is, uh, we, we tend to run a, quite a, a fixed bike everywhere for the simple reason that our bike is always a compromise between the three riders. That's the first one. But it's also a compromise between weather conditions. Um, we need a setup that uh, works well in the wet as well as in the dry which doesn't mean, obviously, if you know that you're going to have a, a full wet race that you can make modifications. But normally, uh, we run the same setup, wet and dry. It has to work well at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning when it can be freezing in Le Mans, as well as uh, during the day when you can have over 30 degrees. So the whole bike is a bit of a compromise, which is not uh, a big issue in the sense that anyway, we have to use tires that last for at least an hour. 
which is a completely different uh, game uh, than World Superbike, where everything is focused around uh, using the full capacity of the tire in uh, the set number of laps in a in a, in a race, which is usually about 45 minutes or 25 minutes in case of a Super Bowl race. So the um, the focus is completely different. And obviously, World Superbike, everything is tailored to each individual rider, which is something that we, we just simply can't do because we have too many riders. And um, yeah, you, you cannot, you, you, you cannot uh, adapt your bike to one single rider and then tell the other ones to deal with it. So it's always a compromise. We have a lot of debriefs all together, sometimes individual, and then it's up to the technical staff to decide uh what to do so uh, also for the riders it's more more um more important to adapt to the bike which especially for riders that come from individual sprint racing in the beginning is always a bit of a a wake-up call or or a phase where they have to adapt is that they are not used that not everything can be adapted to their wishes yeah i mean one of the hardest things to do must be to actually arrive at a base setting that everyone is reasonably happy because like you say it is all about compromise it's not going to work perfectly for everyone and they're going to have to learn to ride around that yes exactly and that's also where the 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 um, also there's a lot of things happening obviously in endurance and the track can be dirty or there can be a technical issue with the bike or there can be a shift to failing so uh, the good endurance riders are the riders that run around that i mean we do eight 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 to twelve hours with the brakes so the brakes are not as fresh uh, in your second or third stint as they were in your first stint. So the good endurance riders are the riders that can actually run uh, through and around these problems and adapt to it. And that's where you see this. We, we, I must say we're quite lucky with the riders we have because they all um, they all manage quite well to deal to deal with all these typical. Um, I'm not going to say issues, but typical uh, um, challenges uh, that happens. Yeah, challenges. Yeah. That's the right word. So when the MRR arrived last year, did you have to go right back to the drawing board again in terms of getting it prepared for the FIMEWC? Or did you feel like you already had so many sort of starting points and base settings that you could adapt? Or, or was it literally back to the beginning? Um, let's say for us, it came on exactly the right moment in the sense that we had done one season uh, the first season was a, a, a twin-year season, 2019-2020. Um, we had done that season with a lot of, uh, as a new team, uh, also for BMW, it was very new. So there's been a lot of things that uh, needed to be re-engineered or reworked or needed uh, to be refined anyway, be it for a new bike or for the old bike. So when the MRR arrived, we just decided to use the opportunity and just start from scratch with all the knowledge we had uh, from the S1000RR um, uh, that we used and um, then immediately uh, implemented all the wishes and all the technical changes we, we had on our wish list or on our to-do list uh, anyway. And then actually we, we started from scratch. So that was, uh, it's, it's been a very tough winter. We've done a lot, a lot of testing. We've also done a lot of extra testing that wasn't pre-scheduled due to uh, issues or new findings or, or stuff that happened in the initial testing. And um, But it turned out to be uh, a good uh, a good preparation for this season. So uh, for us, the the arrival of the MWRR has been a, a very good thing, and it's it's it turned out to be a a very good bike for us. So we're quite happy with it. 
Superb. Now, from a rider's perspective, in terms of aerodynamics, speed, stability, ergonomics, all of those kind of things, what differences are they feeling with the new MRR compared to the S1000RR from last season? There is two uh, big changes. One, uh, the engine power has has uh, quite a bit of a boost compared to last year, combined with uh, a new gearbox um, that this by the way, as a side explanation, a difference in endurance as in World Superbike. In World Superbike, they are entitled one gearbox that they have to use on every track. And we can change the gearbox for each uh, event. Um, being BMW, we don't do that. We stick to the uh, World Superbike gearbox, which is now optimized for this year and turns out to be a big step forward also for us. So that that is a... But also the engine itself is more powerful. It's fair to say... We and BMW started out quite cautious in the initial uh, phase of the project because there was not a lot of experience with this engine and the endurance. And gradually, uh, we've moved forward and we've we've put more power, a little bit more RPM. So that's a step forward. And the other one, uh, which has been a huge uh, step forward for the riders, is the winglets on the bike which gives them a lot of extra stability, a lot of less uh, wheelie problem, which uh, is is uh, obviously a good point, knowing that the engine has more power and gives them also a much more stable bike. So uh, also there, there's been a big improvement for the riders indeed. Absolutely. More power and keeping the front wheel down. This is perfect. So yeah. obviously this year there's a mix of, you know, 8, 12 and 24 hour races. But when races can last 24 hours, how much does riding style or mechanical sympathy from riders make a difference to the reliability and the fuel consumption, tire and component wear, all those kind of things? It changes a lot and it's a, it's an ongoing process for us um in a sense that we we do analyze and compare a lot we we see up to on the initial uh, beginning of a of a race week we typically see up to a potential of one or two laps in a fuel tank difference between the riders and then we analyze who does what uh, which gears they use when they shift uh, how they open the throttle and then we we try to talk to them and 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 all talk or, or bring them all in line so but you still you always have the odd rider that does one lap less than the other ones in the fuel tank um tire wear is the same uh, it's become it it has become a, a little bit more easy the last two years before we had to double stint tires so uh, as a rider you had to be a little bit sympathetic to the following rider because if you destroy the tire he had to do another hour on it so uh, that's not uh, that's not um, happening anymore. But still, the tires need to last for one hour. Um, and then another aspect is obviously the brakes. I mean, they, they can, um, depending on the rider style, they can uh, wear down the brakes a lot faster uh, in an aggressive riding style, uh, or be very much um, uh, smooth in in their riding, and then. Uh, we can potentially win one or even two brake changes over the race distance. So that is indeed also a point of attention. Uh, but it is an aspect that we do accept the differences in riders because as much as you can ask them to adapt to a compromised bike, um, 
we cannot ask them to completely change their riding style uh, overall. So, so it is it is an aspect, but we work a lot all with our with our riders and also with with Werner, our team manager, who is also uh, an ex rider. So we 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 work a lot to bring them uh, to the same uh, riding style or as much as possible, or the same fuel consumption and the same. Um, uh, yeah, aware of all the components and all the parts. So works quite well, actually, in this team. So that's that's not too bad. Yeah, completely different kind of uh, pressure for a rider than, like you say, than, than a superbike environment in terms of, you know, in the past you might have been saying, yeah, we want you to do these fast laps. We want them to do you to do them consistently but also we, we need you to sort of hold off and only break at 85 percent and by the way um you need to save a little bit of your tire as well so it's almost an impossible yeah. task isn't it it is exactly that it is exactly that and it is um now we're three years on in the project and we've got another set of uh, uh superbike engineers coming by for a visit or or to assist in a in a race event, so they also see what happens on this side. Um, because if you just look at the paper, it looks like oh, it's just a slow version of superbike, but it's obviously not the case. We, we our guys do 40 laps non-stop within two tenths of a second with 50 bikes on track. So the overtaking strategies, the the um, the controlling the tire wear and all this is is uh, is uh, a completely different game. So it's. Uh, Yes, the absolute fastest lap time is for sure uh, slower. But if you look at the averages and then uh, another focus point we have is the in and out lap. So our guys are very much used, even if they don't uh, attack like in a super pole, they have to attack from the first lap on every stint. Uh, they have to go full until the last lap on every stint. Um, they have to also manage their own uh, physical fatigue. Because obviously, if you do a sprint race the first uh, hour, then the next uh, seven or eight stints you have to do, especially at five or six in the morning, are going to be more difficult. Uh, so yeah, it is it is all endurance on on every level, on physical level, mechanical level, uh, mental level. It's all as as we've we've seen now the last two races. We had an early uh, setback with a with a crash in, in the, the boat uh, of the last races. It's also a mental game to, as a rider, to understand. Uh, we've we've proven twice that even with a crash you can come back to the podium. Um, but obviously, as a rider, when you get back onto the bike and there's still 23 and a half hours to go, when you're 50th uh, in the ranking with four laps behind, you can. It's it's quite difficult to get motivated and to to uh, accept and to understand that it is still possible to go uh, for a podium result. So also with this experience under the belt, it, it helps to motivate the guys. So it's quite, uh, it's a nice journey. There's so much going on. There really is. I mean, you know, it's a cliche to say it's a marathon, not a sprint, but it really, really is in this case. And, and when you think about all of those things that need to add up to, to make a successful uh, result, even after, like you say, you know, <laughs> 4,000 kilometers, I don't know, hundreds of laps. There's so many things that can go wrong compared to a short circuit race. And that's what makes it so fascinating, I think. But that is a subject for another podcast. I just wanted to touch on a little bit about data recording and tire technology, because I imagine that they've both moved on massively since you started racing. Yes, exactly. Um, well, data recording, to be fair, I've never raced on a bike where there was a data recording system on it. So that's how much it involved. It, it evolved. I mean, today you, you could not even race without it because you couldn't set up the electronics or the suspension without it. 
um, tire technology wise there's there's huge efforts done uh, by our tire partner Dunlop uh, who make really specific tires uh, not only for weather and for track but even for endurance and uh, they don't go as far anymore as as developing tires per team because that's way too expensive and is not justified these days. Um, but still, the tyres we used uh, in Estoril are not the same tyres as we used in Le Mans. There's extensive testing going on before that. Also, every tyre we test, we have to test for 50 laps. So the, the testing hours and the testing track time is, is uh, a lot more than, uh, than in a sprint series. Um, so yeah, all that is in the background as well, but it also makes that we uh, are well prepared. Uh, I mean, on any given test day, we'll we'll gather around 600 to 800 kilometers of uh, of um, testing, and also uh, the data that goes with it, and then analyze at night and uh, analyze offline with, with uh, people who are uh, potentially not even on the track. So it's it's quite a big job indeed. Yeah, you never stop learning and experience counts for everything. And talking about experience, you've got a wealth of experience in all of your riders, but, you know, especially former endurance world champion Kenny Foray. Now, there must be a lot of benefit to having someone of his caliber around the team garage, even if he's not always riding. Yes, exactly. Uh, Kenny is a, is is quite a pillar in the team. I mean, on the on the inscription documents, he's uh, this year has been fourth rider in Le Mans and and, and for the Boldor. Um, uh, they call it spare rider. For us, is is we we just have four riders because with the calendars and the calendar changes, it was the best option for us to make sure that we had uh, good riders on any event, independent of clashes with different uh, sprint series. So that's been a good move. But uh, yeah, Kenny brings in a lot of experience. He's also the guy that I'm not going to say coach because you can't coach your your teammates, but um, has has done a lot of effort and has put in and had a lot of influence on the different riders we had in this project uh, to work together. He's also um, yeah, quite experienced, as you say. Uh, he's still, still very fast. He's... Um, uh, in in Le Mans in the boulder I think he was less than a tenth of uh, the last boulder we did less than a tenth of the lap record so that was quite good so yeah it's it's uh, very good to have him there he's um, uh, how to say he, he brings uh, he brings ease and calm in in the rider group he's also very interested and very well uh, physically prepared so he also helps the other guys in, in dealing with that and in managing that aspect of their race so uh, yeah, good, good pillar of the team indeed. Yeah, true professional, absolutely. Now, endurance racing, it's always been given the highest priority by the Japanese manufacturers, and they've traditionally pumped a lot of resources and know-how into this race format. And there are also some seriously established work teams in the paddock who've been there for a long time, so taking them on is always a big challenge. Now, your maiden season was really commendable, but do you feel this is really the year to step things up to another level? Because from what I've seen, you know, results so far would suggest you're on the right track. Um, I, I, indeed, uh, our maiden season was a bit uh, complicated because we, um, in hindsight, we ended up not doing any real endurance races. I mean, the first race we did was the Boldor with a 13-hour break due to the weather. Every single race we had was a wet race, so it's, it, it was a gamble for everybody. So it was a bit, bit difficult um, to see where we were compared to the other ones we had seen on different occasions that our fuel strategy was quite good. We had had sparks in lap times, uh, very good. Then uh, the number of, of lap records on different tracks. We made good use of that uh, season uh, 
to also prepare the technical side of things and and um, the the sub assemblies for for changing in case of a technical issues or crashes um so that was quite good so on all these levels this this year is indeed it's still it's still a young a young um, project uh, it's only the second year but i do feel like uh, we are uh, at least knocking on the door and and uh, force that is reckoned in the paddock and that is taken into account which is the first step we obviously don't have uh, the resources as the japanese put in also not the history and the background i mean if you see uh, people like Yoshimura stepping in and taking over the, the the work Suzuki team that has brought them a massive step forward because uh, it is basically what they do uh, full time and all the time uh, but it's it's also challenging and this uh, in the paddock there's a good appreciation between the teams we all know each other for very long um, there's there's quite a good atmosphere we get along well uh, actually especially with the Japanese uh, they're all always very interested in our bike um, we it, it's also begun become a little bit of a of a running gag in the team to take pictures of Japanese people looking at our bike because as soon as the bike is in pit lane or or even even sometimes they ask if they can come into the into the pit box so that's it's actually quite nice but yeah it's it's challenging i do believe that we are knocking on the door i do believe we are we have the cap capabilities and and the potential to to go out and win races uh, we do lack some experience on some uh, key points uh, as well technical as as the riders there's been a few mistakes over the last couple of events and and as much as we've seen and we've proven that even with mistakes you can make it to the podium if you want to go and win uh, these days you cannot make any mistake it's become uh, you need a flawless race, a race uh, to get to the podium you don't have to be the fastest uh, that's what we've seen the last race in Estoril where FCC was way off the pace but they still won it because they didn't make any mistakes um, so yeah we're, we're right up there with them and um, I don't think we're we have to be seen as the leading team because we we're still a young team but uh, we definitely go to the boulder hoping and and feeling prepared and and working to march towards the wind and to just participate and hope to finish Absolutely. Yeah. So many things that need to fit together to even stand a chance of getting on the podium. And from a PR perspective, uh, I know that it's always much more fun writing a press release when there's a little bit of drama, a little bit of, uh, you know, a few setbacks, well, big setbacks in the case of the first two races so far when, uh, yeah, there's been a great story to tell, especially when you can slowly over the hours start clawing those places back and then things are happening in front of you that uh, you know pull pull that podium ever closer so it's it's a good drama and we love a good story certainly in motorsport but I just wanted to uh, touch on tyres again a minute because I think you said that there there are no longer the same restrictions on tyres that there were in the past but how closely do you work with partners such as Dunlop in terms of development and how do you decide on the best combination of tyres for endurance racing because like we said earlier there are always compromises you've got different riding styles to take into account as well as weather conditions and how many different choices are you allowed are you restricted in in the type of compounds that you can choose and how many compounds within those compound choices it all gets very very complicated doesn't it yes indeed um so the only restriction we still have is that the total number of tires that you use for qualifying is restricted to seven and this goes for the two qualifying sessions per rider so that's a total of six sessions with seven tires so that's the only restriction so when we go back to the race 
uh, or when we look at the race, um, there's obviously the weather influence and, and uh, uh, if, if it's a, a race with changing weather, wet and dry and, and cold and hot, then you end up with potentially 10 different specs for the front, no, for the rear and, and four or five different specs for the front. So that's quite difficult to manage. Uh, we always have uh, a tire engineer uh, with us, John, a Dunlop guy. He's been he's been forever at Dunlop. I think he was he was born uh, in Dunlop, and and so uh, for us that's a it's a very uh, big asset for the team um, because he guides all that. Um, but when it's a dry race or or a full wet race, anyway, a race with constant uh, weather conditions, then the choice will be limited to three or four uh, possible compounds. And if you are well prepared, which we usually are, you know exactly. You can you, Dunlop can lay out. Uh, they 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 track weather the weather conditions, so the ambient and the track temperature, and they set uh, boundaries. And they say, okay, until this condition, it's this type of tire. And as soon as you hit this temperature or this condition, it becomes this type of tire, which is quite um, uh, a comfortable way of working for us. It demands a lot of preparation work because you have to run all the tires in all the different conditions to define these boundaries. Um, but that's why we do the pre-testing. Uh, we leave uh, to the, on Sunday. We leave for the pre-boulder testing, where we will run two bikes for two days non-stop. One of the bikes will only do long runs with all different kinds of tires to make a pre-choice for the race, just narrow it down, and then also to start working on this uh, set of conditions and decision uh, decision-making conditions on when to use what tire, because the tire obviously. If you have the, the the if you have bad luck or if you make a wrong choice, um, yeah, you have to stick with it for nearly forty laps. So if you lose uh, one and a half seconds uh, per lap because of a wrong tire choice, you might end up just losing a full lap uh, because of that choice. So getting the correct tire in at the correct time is a, is another key element to to uh, add as many laps to your total at the end of the race. And that's actually the game, the game to play. Yeah, hence the importance of development and testing. And and I'm not sure, did you say earlier that, I know you, you said you're doing a lot more testing than you've done in the past, but are there any limits on the amount of testing that teams are able to do? No, in endurance, you can do as much testing as you want. Um, the limit is obviously time and uh, and even more than time is uh, is, uh, is budget. Um, when we do testing, we often go uh, in, in what we call uh, guerrilla style. We just take two mechanics, two bikes, and and the riders. So it's uh, it's not the big uh, the big voyage with the complete team. Um, and if we go testing, or when we go testing, we go with a specific purpose uh, uh, on specific tests. Uh, so that's the way we deal with it. There's no limit to it. Um, but it's obviously it is still limited. I mean, also the time between the events is limited. Um, but a lot of the testing we do is indeed uh, uh, checking the different tire specs that are available and uh, seeing uh, what we have to adapt to the bike. Uh, let me say that in sprint racing, you usually adapt the bike to the preference of the rider and to make the rider happy. In endurance racing, you adapt the bike to make the tire happy and to make it last because uh, you need to tire more at uh, the last five laps than in the first five laps, because there's too much traffic anyway to hit the absolute lap times. 
um, yeah. the, the, the key the key is not the the fastest time the key is the fastest average lap time um, and that's where we where we focus on but that's the, I think for our riders still the biggest challenge um, because a rider brain doesn't work like that a rider brain doesn't calculate averages they only look at the fastest lap time um, but yeah well that's why it's so good so good to have people within the team management who have gone through the whole sort of you know the life of a rider and and had those uh, ups and downs and have, have that understanding and background and experience so finally Stephen looking ahead to the next round in France is the approach for the bold door 24 hours completely different for an eight-hour race such as the final round in most in the Czech Republic or or is the general approach quite similar no the general approach is similar I mean, for us, a race event is one week, eh? be it 24 or eight hours of racing. The general approach is similar. Um, the focus points are also similar. Um, the emphasis uh, is more track-bound. I mean, in Le Mans, uh, for example, it's the overtaking behavior of the bike is very important because of the nature of the track. For the Boldor, because of the length of the track and the high speed, the, it's, it's even more important there than on any other track to know to maximize or to optimize your fuel consumption because for any lap you can do more in one lap uh, in one fuel tank uh, you'll end up doing one stop less and since the boulder by nature or by architecture of the track it's a double pit lane so any pit stop costs a lot of time um, so that will be definitely a focus point um, and but apart from that, the boulder is quite simple. It's it's a, a track that is, uh, is 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 quite easy to learn. It's quite simple as a track. It's not so delicate for the tires. It's but it's very high speed. And then the rest of the preparation always, and that it keeps repeating itself because that's the nature of the game, is to prepare all the sub assemblies. We 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 actually build the bike in in sub assemblies. So in anything anything that happens, if you have a crash in the race or even in the preparation week that you can quickly change but to be able to do that um, you need to build assemblies that are as big as possible so you change as many parts as possible in as little time as possible and every assembly needs to be checked and be a function checked on every bike before every event to be sure that if you make a change that you can just send the rider out in safety without any risk. So this preparation work is always the same and it's, it doesn't change for a, a 24 or a eight hour race. No, but I guess an eight hour race for a, a rider and, and possibly team members probably feels a little bit like a sprint race compared to a 24 hour race like the bowl. Yes, an eight hour race, you have um, you have to be a little bit less conservative on, on uh, endurance. Uh, both physically as technically though technically for us it doesn't make any difference we don't work with different engines for eight hours or 24 hours so all that is the same obviously the riders they they have to push a little bit more hard because the nature of the race is that it is going a little bit faster on the other hand there's the added stress of um, the margin for error that is even even smaller because uh, you obviously have less time to to make up in case you make a, an error or you have to you have to start the chase to come back. Um, so yeah, that does change. Uh, but but for the preparation or on technical level, there is not a lot of difference between twenty four hours and eight hours. And what about the fans? Are they going to let the fans in this year for the bowl? As far as I know, yes. There's going to be thirty thousand. I think 
it's still not the crowd of 80 or 90,000 that we used to. Well, we're not used to it anymore, but that we had in the, in the past and that we hope that comes back. Uh, but there's definitely going to be crowd and that is obviously very nice, especially at the start or, or at the early morning hours. It's always it's always very nice to, to have the crowds there and to have this cheering. Also, at the end of the race, if you're lucky to get a, a decent result, it's, uh, it's always uh, more nice to have crowds there than to just have the paddock people because there's still a big a big crowd in the paddock but it's it's not the same as the public no you you need that support at you know 3 30 in the morning when uh, it's chucking it down with rain but you still got people sort of cheering you around every lap and you can see the lights in the distance and you can sort of you know see the little barbecues and things like that it's, it's just important for motivation isn't it and just great to have the yeah it's, it's exactly that i mean you even if you're struggling or you're tired and you you look at the horizon you see them partying you hear the music you see the 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 fires uh, the barbecues and and sometimes they fire up uh, a lot of other stuff as well uh, so yeah it is it is it is part of our uh, of our game in endurance so we're quite happy and quite excited that it all comes back fantastic well Stephen I could talk to you all day honestly I've learned so much today and I'm sure our listeners have too so thanks for being our guests and I wish you and the team the very best of luck for the rest of the season and beyond of course okay thank you very much I'll talk to you soon then. Thanks, Stephen. I really enjoyed that chat. And I'm also going to try and catch up with team manager Werner Damon in the build-up to the championship finale in the Czech Republic, so look out for that one. And just to confirm, the organisers of this month's Baldor have now announced that there's going to be no limit on the number of spectators allowed at the track. All race fans have to do is turn up, show their health passport and their ticket, so why not pack up your camping gear, get on your bike and join the party. See you there.